Alex. Hello. I'm Team, and we are the Books Boys. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it. Books. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to episode 38 of Books Boys, and we are going to tell you what we read in November. Which for me was a it seemed like it wasn't going to be a lot. We were talking like a week and a half ago and it was like, oh, you've not read anything. But then suddenly I've read a lot. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And I picked up a play and basically read it today. So, <laughs> yeah, we've we've done uh, we've done pretty well. Yeah, I mean, unless you want to hear all the things that I've read about, you know, angiograms, quantum mechanics, like. Oh, yeah, super... the exciting stuff, though. I know, I know. Um definitely uh we'll discuss it next month how's that yeah and just before um coming on air we were looking into a potential well not potential i guess now it's an actual um the potential has been realized a london visit to see dark place robert and uh others so that'll be others (laughs) and probably charlotte you know yeah hopefully uh, hopefully dragon charlie will be there Hopefully, film fellow Saloni will be there, and uh, and then others who've not been on the show. We have a lot of friends now over there, so yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a good uh, New Year's uh, shindig. Yay! And then hopefully a Gibraltar visit for me immediately afterwards in January. And actually, I'm going this weekend to Newcastle, so a, a lot of uh, little, a lot of little travels. But regular listeners might be disappointed that I've not done like three more Spain trips since the, <laughs> since the last episode. <laughs> There was only one. I think I didn't go away in November, and no? did I? Okay. Did I go away in October? Yeah, I was in Spain. Didn't I go to? Didn't I go to Extremadura in October? But we probably I talked about that went... already. I saw yeah. the ruins in in. Um... Okay, I can't remember where it was. Not in Merida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here Fair we are. Um, we're going to talk about books. I feel like I've not done as much. This is a strange month. Like I haven't. Didn't. I felt like I wasn't reading a lot. I didn't go away anywhere. And but even still... we were saying, like, we didn't do a lot, a lot, like, just fun stuff or social stuff this month. It was a weird month for me. You're still going to talk about, like, six, aren't you? Yes, but most of those were this week. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll start with the book that I mentioned last month that I had already begun. And this is called La Biblioteca de los Sueños Imposibles by Lynn Rina. So that's the library of impossible dreams um now this you'll see the cover here you were with me when i bought this actually we were i think somehow we were in spain that's with Charlie. right it was uh yeah marbella yeah and it took me like an hour to pick this book <laughs> yep. so and our legs were hurting because we'd been walking constantly that entire week so charlotte and i were about to you know pass out yeah so you will be disappointed to find that this book wasn't that great. 
Um, I've just so looked... glad we waited. Yeah. This is in Spanish, but I mean, the author is not Spanish. You can also buy this book in English. Lynn Rina is from Germany, I believe. Um, but anyway, mm. this book is... Okay. The short version of the plot summary is a, a shy girl goes to work in a library and fancies the librarian and then continues fancying him for 600 pages. And that's the book. So that's really the, that's the short version. Now, if we were to base it just entirely on the short version, it would go down the gutter. However, if we were to base it on the long version, down, down, down. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a little down the gutter. Uh, it's not great. Uh, it's kind of a middling book in that it was pleasant to read. It was inoffensive. But it could have been a quarter of the length, you know? That's the problem. Mm. And th this is the reason I didn't get much reading done this month. It took me a long time to get through nothing happening in this book. It really employed the Anna Karenina method. But that's a book you like, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's just the method of extending needlessly by hundreds uh, of pages. Um, so a slightly longer version of the plot. Upper class girl... Um, all she does is read books, argues with her controlling mother all the time. Her mother's trying to get her to go to like social dances, marry her off to random men. Father's kind of ineffective. Uncle comes along. Uncle knows her a bit better as a person, you know, and is like, you want to come to London with me and work in a bookshop? And she's like, I can't do that. And the uncle knows it will be good for her. And the mother resists all the time. But it's only supposed to be a one month trial, one month placement. So she's called Animant Crumb, and she goes to work in the bookshop, and sorry, in the library. Sorry, she goes to work in the in the library, and initially, it's it's the same story, right? It's every book. It's um, Jane Eyre. It's like this curmudgeonly old guy who's kind of toxic, needs a savior, manic pixie dream girl to come and you know make him into a good person so that they can be in love. It's the same story that that has been done and overdone. But initially she hates the guy. She hates her boss, um, Mr. Reed. Then eventually she realizes that he has a, you know, deep beneath all that meanness and gruffness and not being nice to her, there's a nice guy in there. So she realizes that she loves him. Yeah. And it happens because the guy that her mom wants her to date accosts her at a dance and Mr. Reed kind of takes her by the arm and says come dance with me and saves her essentially and then they dance and re she realizes that she likes him um the library the library's kind of gone to the dogs since he's taken over because he's really disorganized so she starts organizing things and then she moves into the librarian's assistant's room which is next door to his room so they're living on the next door to each other but she keeps the key for the communicating door um and that's it, really. Like, uh, there's an issue with the library. They don't let women study. So she's really the only girl who has access to the books. But it is a university library. And there's, she befriends one girl who comes in trying to get books. And she kind of smuggles books to her. Um, which she gets in trouble for. And there's a flood in the library one day as well. Uh, and it turns out the girl who's smuggling the books, her mum, sorry, her, her patroness also fancies Mr. Reed. And then there's a bit of a jealousy there. Um, 
the only other real part to the story is that the guy she's meant to marry is kind of an ass and doesn't understand her and doesn't understand why she would turn him down. And then there's one fun moment where Mr. Reed is very straight-laced, Thomas Reed, all his brothers show up and they're kind of like a biker gang, you know, they're like ruffians. And they insist that he come out drinking with them where they'll tell mum. And for some reason, Animant tags along with them and she's never drank alcohol before because she's like 19 and a socialite. So they give her a Guinness, but they spike it with quadruple whiskey. (laughs) And she gets very drunk and vomits and Thomas has to escort her home and they kind of share an intimate, not, not, not nothing like sexual, but like a more of a verbally intimate moment, you know, Um, but she doesn't remember it. Guinness feels like very modern. Like, how does that have anything to do with, I, I don't know. This feels like it should be a Victorian book. And then it's just like, oh, we got Guinness as well. Yeah, it's kind of if you just took like Jane Eyre, but it was today, like, but not quite today. You know, it's they still don't have like all the latest tech and everything. But yeah, like it says it's set in 1890, actually. But okay. it doesn't feel like it is. It reads quite modern. What's the um? <laughs> what's the year Guinness was invented? <laughs> by the way. Let me check. But yeah, oh, look, 1759. So... Wow. Well, there we go. Okay. So that checks out. And this does, no does, does completes our, our research on the novel. Um, But look, it was fine. It just didn't... It was kind of charming, but the bits that annoyed me were the fact that it didn't really go anywhere. I mean... I'm going to give you a massive spoiler, okay? So prepare to be shocked. At the very, very end of the book, they separate and they don't want to meet each other anymore. And then he comes after her and I think they kiss on like the last page, okay? So it's everything you've ever seen ever. You basically sent me a message in the middle of the month saying, so re- read this really boring book and at the end they kissed. And I'm like, okay. It's probably yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> is the plot summary, you know? And the bit with the brothers is kind of funny and everything because they give you a bit more backstory about Thomas, the Mr. Reed. But yeah, like realistically, what what's happening in this book? Like she fancies him for a long time. There's one funny moment where the other woman who fancies him comes to find him and they have to hide in the closet together and they hold hands and it's very like, oh, we've, we've touched each other. But it's... I, I, I couldn't recommend this book to anyone. And that's the reason that even though it's kind of nice, it's boring and it, it goes down the gutter, I think, for that reason. You know, I couldn't recommend someone to read 600 pages where nothing happens. You know, that is fair. You that know. is fair. <laughs> and that's the long and short of it, yeah. Okay. okay. Next. Next. I'm going to get through these pretty quickly, actually. I read Sonata de Primavera, so that's Spring Sonata, um, by Ramon Maria del Valle Inclán. Um, this is a Spanish author, but I know him more as a playwright. And if you've listened to back episodes of Playboy's Extra, we reviewed a play of his with Mireya, and I think that that's out for free now on the Books Boys feeds. Um his plays are very good. I didn't realize he wrote <laughs> I didn't realize he wrote novels. This is 90 pages. This is a novella, but apparently he did oh, write wow. longer novels. The thing is, this is the spring sonata. He wrote four for the four seasons. Why okay. they weren't just released as one book, I don't know, but 
they've released this as a 90 page novella and uh, it was the third in the series it didn't come first Baiche Inclan has something called Esperpento which is he's not that it really appears much in this novel it's this idea of like dramatically but comically grotesque almost beastly characters animalistic kind of traits so that's called Esperpento and that's what he's known for um, and he's a you know he's a very good playwright. I've seen plays of his performed live, very very good. But this oh. little novella, um, I just another one. Wow. It just wasn't great. Yeah, and look, it's ninety pages, so I I don't want to say too much about it without spoiling the entire story, right? But not that. A massive amount of stuff even really happens in it. Yeah. So basically, right, these 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 books, these four books, all tell us the tale of um this one uh, gentleman. Just grab his name. They're the memoirs of the Marquis de Bradomine. So this is a chapter of his life um, from his relative youth. He's supposed to be two things. One is he's supposed to be a bit of a caricature of the author himself, who, by the way, is Galician. Um, he's from, if I remember correct, Villan- not from Villa Garcia de Rosa, but Villanueva de Rosa, where I've been close to, but not in. Um, but yeah, he's he's from there. And the, the main chap is partially a character a character of him but also partially a bit of a modern day Don Juan hmm. so again the story can be told in two sentences I feel like he goes to visit this fictional town um, and he sees this family he all the family is five daughters all of whom are called Maria so they're all Mar- Maria de something, you know. Um, <laughs> Maria de Rosario, Maria of the Rosary, is the oldest. And that's the one that he decides he fancies. So even there, he's actually there on like religious business. I think he's sent by Rome, but he decides that he wants to get with this girl. She is about to enter a convent. So she's committed to like the nunnery. But he essentially is trying to stop her because he falls in love with her. And a lot of the book, it's kind of repetitive despite its short length. It's just a lot of like they meet in the corridor and he's kind of whispering at her, I love you, I love you. And she's like, no, this is not what we're supposed to do. And it's kind of a lot of that. And he's very annoying, actually. Hmm. And then there's it kind of gets weird. The Esperpento comes in a little bit because they're supposed to be this kind of... Well, it's not like Satan appears in the book, but you're supposed to get the idea that like the work of Satan is being done and essentially that from the, from the reading I've done about this book, the understanding is supposed to be that evil triumphs over good. I kind of didn't really see that reading it. I was just like, yeah, the guy wanted to date her, I guess. And it didn't really go anywhere, you know? Okay. Again, it would be difficult to recommend. I would say go read his plays. Like, he's got some great plays. I would just recommend remind, this. <laughs> just reminded me of Measure for Measure in a way, right? You had the woman who was going to become a nun... And then she has to come back to save her brother before she can do her vows. And then she's kind of just given away to the Duke. Yeah, it's kind of like that. 
Um, if you're interested in the guy and the Esperpento and the ideas of it, read Bohemian Lights. That's the play that we covered before. It's very, very good. I'm th- I'm pretty sure there's a, a theater dedicated to Vijay Inclan in Madrid as well. Um, I would be definitely tempted to read more of his plays. I wouldn't really have much temptation to read any more. I mean, he's written a novel or two. Maybe I'll check out the novels, but these, these sonatas, I wouldn't bother with the others. Fair enough. It's interesting, like, it's called that, uh, it reminded me immediately of Vivaldi's Four spring, uh, four Seasons. Sure, he, sure. Like, he had um, concertos, I believe they were, like, each one for a different uh, yeah. different season. And The best concerto nice. of all time? Uh, there's a Chuck Berry record called Concerto no. in B Good. No, that's a guitar concerto. Uh, See, it's not even the best. It's a Johnny concerto. B. Good. Reference. It's a, it's a good concerto. Then in that case, yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's a Johnny <laughs> B. Good reference. I kind of like that. I thought it was quite funny because it's like ten minutes as well. It's not like your two minute rock and roll song. Anyway, yeah. next book I'm going to spend thirty seconds on, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's by Kenneth Everin, an if only story, and it's called Body of Fates. Quite a nice little cover there. Um. Hmm. I have spoken with the author and there will be a bonus episode released in a few days on the 5th of December. So if anyone would like to hear about that, it'll be released in a few days. So I don't need to go into much detail about it now, but it was an intelligently written, rather enjoyable book. Uh, Essentially, it's the story of a couple. We see them getting together and the kind of fun that they had. Then health problems ensue. The wife ends up getting very sick. Um, and then it's all the problems that that causes in the relationship, you know, as that as that goes along. Um, and it's essentially the story of them with little, little bits about their ancestors and things like that thrown in as well. Um, so it's quite, it's quite fun. Um, not maybe fun is the wrong word. It's an enjoyable read, um, but it's a sad read in parts as well. Um, but that will that'll be released in a few days' time, and you can go and read it. And just for the personal quality of it and the, the strength of some of the... Um, it's, it's kind of semi-biographical in the bits of it. Are, you know, the, the vague premise is based on his real life, even if the story details are not, um, with his ex-wife, I believe. So, yeah, I think just for sharing that level of, of powerful um, anecdote, I'm going to... I'll give it the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although it's slightly outside of my usual vibe. It's not really like a, you know, it's like a Dickens novel yeah, or something. You wouldn't usually read something that is about, yeah, like personal struggle and yeah. like disease. It, it, you told me a little bit about this uh, last time we hang out, I believe. And yeah, it was, yeah, it, it's a hard subject for some people to deal with. So he put it to paper and made a book out of it. Yeah, so, mm. it's commendable, mm. yeah. Before we hear from your good self, good Yay. sir, and we will, uh, let me remind everybody that we have the Patreons, patreon.com slash booksboys. The facts that will be presented are true. He's PJ. He's a yeah. Say hello. <laughs> hello. Dark Place Robert and Playboy Alex. Doing all right. Glad to be here again. That's why you're going to know me from that. <laughs> <time. laughs> anyway. Joined by Saloni. Say hello. Hello, everyone. Dean, joined by Carla. Hello. Talk about some plays. That would be fun. 
Join us for play reviews from Shakespeare to ancient Greece, music, films, poetry, interviews, dark place dreamers, and more. Patreon.com slash booksboys. That's right. And I'm just going to give a sample here. I'm just going to let people know, because we talk about this every month. Mm. What you actually get for that is, first of all, you get Books Boys usually a day or two early. Um, then you get, of course, all the back catalogs. The old Books Boys is on there, The old, all the old episodes of Playboys. Although we are starting to release those for free across the Books Boys feeds, just because, you know, they're good content and we'd like more people to hear them. All the old Dark Place Dreamers is there. There's interviews from The Vaults, 15 episodes that I did with musicians. There's some games guys, some poetry pals. Music Man. There's a there's a whole load of stuff on there. Film Fellows, Caper Captains, uh, Forensic Friends, Greek Court Speeches, millions <laughs> of things. Um, but then you also, of course, get bonus new bonus shows every month. So if I just look at November. So here we go. A couple of days early, October 29th, you got the last episode of Books Boys, the three-year anniversary, which is very long. My apologies to the listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> November 5th, Playboys of Attica, the Bacchae. Same day, I released episode 18 of Music Man, where I looked at uh, a bunch of my old song archives. Same day also with Animator Iris, we released the second episode and the third episode of um, Arcane. So that was all November 5th. And Alex and I, we did Poetry Pals. Poetry Pals, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. So all of that came out on November 5th. November also a lot 8th, of fun. Carla and I did another Playboys Extra, Servant of Two Masters by Goldoni. November 15th, we launched a new season of Dark Place Dreamers. We've dispensed with the uh, attempted Dragons show, and instead we're doing the Twilight Zone uh, with Dragon Charlie and both of us, and Dark Place Robert, of course. Um, so many of us are on there. November 19th, Film Fellows, The Girl on the Train with Saloni. November 22nd, our final Euripides, Alex, uh, we both did Electra. Mm-hmm. November 22nd we did another Twilight Zone so that's like a million shows like and it, yeah. you get this for like $3 £2.50 something like that 3 euros uh, if it was any cheaper we would be paying you like the percentage discount is more than 100% discount at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we're going to be doing I believe 8 more of the Twilight Zone episodes yeah I think uh, so we're expecting some uh, to finish off Arcane, that'll be another six episodes, and yeah, Iris is going away a little bit over Christmas, so Arcane's going to move a little bit slower than Twilight Zone. But yeah, we'll get those done. Um, there will be some more plays, of course. We're going to do a bonus um, Euripides, and then in the new year, we'll move into some new plays, just some miscellaneous stuff, stuff that we're interested in doing. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. And hopefully, uh, yourself and Carla will manage to schedule it in uh, yes. and get a play done that I will not be in. So forcefully yeah. ejected from from the podcast, I have been or will be. Yes, very Yoda thing. There. <laughs> forcefully Fine, removed. Finally, I, I will have be. Been. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a Star Wars, and I don't know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, so yeah. lots of lots of fun things will be going on there. So go check it out. I think as well at the higher levels, you can recommend a book for us to read. You can get some uh, poetry stuff. You can get t-shirts. There's lots of stuff. So patreon.com slash booksboys. Um, and just while I'm on this sort of portion of things, booksboys.com is the portal to all the things that we do. So there's links to some music and some things and other merchandise that you can buy and bits and pieces like that. 
And if you want to talk to us, booksboysathotmail.com or social media. If you go to Instagram, it's at booksboyspodcast. We're not really using the other social medias as much anymore. So we're just mostly Instagram's the best one. And, and then, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Skip to here if you want to wait. Um, <laughs> so I read another Sam Shepard this month. Um, because yeah, the last one was it wasn't exactly my cup of tea. And doing more uh research into Sam Shepard, he started off basically with the absurdist movement and became a bit more surrealist after time and um it's not usually what I've been reading for plays, right? We haven't really read much in the way of absurdist plays. We're no, used to really. realist, like this led to this, this led to this. When I'm reading this play, it's basically like, okay, um, this could lead to something, but everyone on stage is crazy. And why are people not listening to this person? Okay. So... Let me ask you before you go into it, would I yeah. like this? Would I like this? You would not like this, I do not think. Yeah. I had a feeling you were gonna say that because this is gonna be I read Beckett, I read Waiting for Godot when you said that was absurdist and I hated it. So is it that? Is that what we're doing? But Waiting for Godot is funny. That's why I like Godot. Um You would probably see them as similar. Yeah. Um yeah. Like, I'll also let you uh, give your opinion at the end, like, whether you think you would enjoy it at all. Um, so it starts off with a brother, Jake, calling um, his other brother, Frankie, saying that he killed his wife. So starts off great. Good, then good start, after, yeah. He's coming home as well. Love it. Next scene, we see a woman in a hospital bed um, bandaged up and completely bruised and yeah um, she's not able to speak very well uh, she had brain damage we get okay. that very quickly so like one of the lines uh, Beth says she's talking to her brother Mike she says who fell me is a is a name is a name to come it's it's in the man in the name all, 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 a love, a love. Like, she's not easy to understand. I'm gathering that much, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into necessarily every scene because there are actually quite a few. But, yeah, those first two scenes are like four pages. <laughs> like, there really isn't okay. a lot uh in those but then our next scene which i don't really have much to talk about is like eight so it's already more for the next it's already longer yeah yeah basically what's happened is jake kind of gone i don't want to say crazy but he's he's kind of like an infant now his brother frankie's taking care of him and he doesn't respond super well. You have also his sister uh, and mother come in. The mother is your standard mother in Sam Shepard plays, it seems like. She's like, I'm going to make sure I take care of you. And uh, basically, you remind me of when you were a child. So I'm going to treat you like a child in that case. And 
you're the favorite of the family and all that. Uh, he, so Jake scares um, Sally, his sister, because he confuses her for his wife, uh, Beth, the one that he beat up. And yeah, uh, she runs off. She eventually comes back later after she public service announcement. Again. Do not beat up your wife. No, no. Um, it doesn't. I'll tell you this: it doesn't end well uh, <laughs> in, for uh, anybody. I guess it's weird. Um, Frankie is told, of course, that Beth is dead, but he's like. All right, I'm just going to go check and talk to the family, at least like try to make some amends because you might have killed somebody. You should mm. at least have some sort of communication there. Um Beth gets visited by her family in the hospital and the father just doesn't really seem to care. His name's Baylor. Uh Meg is just kind of like uh, airhead mom i guess she's like okay. uh my daughter like my daughter and my ducats yeah yeah sure <laughs> more or less the father's like oh uh brain damage whatever let's just go home i think it's really not that big of a deal to him uh, the father's one of the worst characters even though we have one character who beat his wife nearly to death before this wow so when the character who beats his wife is not the worst character, there's some <laughs> some moral discussions to be had about the play, I feel like. Well, is it worse to do that because you think that he, he thought his uh, girlfriend was cheating or to a father with his daughter saying like, right, brain damage, don't really care. And he doesn't mm-hmm. do anything to ever help her. He's like, ah, oh, she'll be better. The doctors, whatever, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, it's like I might have to end up taking care of her like I took care of my wife's mother she was old and senile and crazy so I guess I might have to do that to, for her too and it's only um, and what is the name of the play sorry lie of the mind lie of the mind okay we'll need that yeah. for the notes <laughs> <laughs> and so his whole goal the rest of the play is he's going to shoot a deer like you don't care about your daughter uh-huh. all right Hey. See, I can't figure out if yeah. I like this or not because I don't like well, that it's non sequitur there, but I, I do like the moral so issues. Many non sequitur. You would enjoy the moral issues, I think, but the non sequiturs get so bad in the last third. Mm. Um, so you basically have Frankie going to visit them. He He's outside talking with Mike, the brother of Beth, and he's not letting him in. So what does Frankie do? He he says he's looking for his car, but he goes around the back while the father is hunting for deer and gets shot in the leg. So <laughs> he has to come in and they take care of him in the house. Um, Jake, in the meantime, he's being fed soup by his mother and just being treated like an infant again. But also hears like uh, Frankie's going to uh, see Beth. He thinks that his mother and Frankie are against him. His sister might be the only one with him, but then the sister tells the mother uh, some of the things that Jake says. So everyone's against him. Eventually, he gets to the point where, like, he says, "Like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm going to leave. Uh, I don't want my mother to find out. Sally, will you like do the whole? Will you sleep in my bed to make it look like it's me? Mm-hmm. Type thing." 
it's weird as well because in a later scene we see Sally the sister serving the mother Lorraine uh soup in bed because Lorraine's sick and like what happens to her coming in and being like you're not my son what are you doing it, we don't get that no, no you just have the sister saying what the mother would have said when coming into the room so i'm like did they switch the characters here no they just have um sally doing the mother's line just to say that already happened I so here's the problem i have know. with the absurdist stuff <laughs> People like, oh, it's so like cleverly. I'm like, mm, is it or is it just poorly written? Because a child would write a play that has full of non sequiturs <laughs> and is poorly written. And I'm like, yeah, that is what I think of these plays sometimes. <laughs> I can sort of get that. Um, but now what's happening at Beth's house, uh, she uh, sees Frankie come in. She heard about Jake. But her mind switches to thinking that she's now in love with Frankie. Not even that she's married to him, that she wants to get married to him in the future. And it's Frankie and and Jack, did you say? Those are the brothers from the one family. But then you also have, yeah, Mike and Beth from the other. So, yeah, Beth is now tending to uh, Frankie's wound. Um, what she does is she takes off her shirt and she's just in her jeans and bra taking like tying it up but it doesn't actually do anything um, Frankie's super uncomfortable by this because like your family's here you're my brother's wife I don't like this situation uh, Jake eventually arrives but we don't really hear as much about it because uh, Mike first comes in and says I shot another deer And then he's like, oh, yeah, I also have Jake tied up outside, uh, beat him half to death, and he's now going to do everything I say. We skipped something. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, Jake comes in. He actually apologizes, says he loves her, and then kind of leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing really happens to him. He's just broken now. He's... Mike broke him into being a good person, I guess, through torture. I don't really know. Frankie's stuck. He's been trying to get out. There was a blizzard, and he's like, just let me go home. You shot me. Just let me leave. Beth's, of course, uh, in love with Frankie. The father, Baylor, he's like, I got cracked feet. Wife, tend to them. And now we also have to fold up this American flag because there's a whole story about Jake and Frankie's father that doesn't really affect anything. Um, and then I, the mother of Jake and Frankie Lorraine, they do go through that story of what happened with the father. He ran off and she's tired of like remembering all that. So she burns down her house. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's like, I I feel like a lot of this could just be a joke at some point. Um, And then he did his life. Am I allowed to send this down the gutter? <laughs> um, what is your rating on this? Uh, it is so... I don't know. Because it has some interesting moments. Like, if I were to watch this, I'd just be like, this is crazy, this is fun. Um, but it's also like, it's crazy. I don't understand why this is happening. 
can we not have a realistic situation too? So I hate that you don't give me a middling option. So yeah. if it's middling, I, I guess I got to put it down the gutter, but there really isn't much of an ending to it either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not really much of an ending. It's just Frankie's still stuck at the house. Um, they finish folding up the flag and then uh, Beth's mom looks out and says, uh, let me get the exact line. Um, yeah, it looks like a fire in the snow. How could that be? I'm like, are you able to see the house that is in California being burned down while you're in Montana? <laughs> Think of that being like 500 miles. Um, but there are things that I do like about Sam Shepard. Um he does have some interesting characters. Like, I find each of these characters fun to talk about. Like, we're talking about the moral quandaries and stuff. Um, he gives a lot of direction. Some of his state, um, his scene, like, directions and all that, we get, like, full paragraphs. Um, like, that's just mm. setting the scene. Wow, and throughout okay. all of his lines, there's... Um, so, Mike, hard. Don't think about him. Then also... She stops, clasps her arms around her chest, and folds completely forward. Her head drops. She starts to weep, hugging her, trying to straighten her up. So he tells exactly what has to happen. Um, and even at the end, he has the uh, set layout, like how it oh, should nice. be set up. Detailed. So it's it's really good. And a prop list. Every prop oh needed for every I've scene. I've never actually seen that done. So there are things like that. I'm like, wow, this is... Uh, that might just be this com- company, Dramatist Play Service. Um, but but still, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And very interestingly, so this was first uh, played in 1985. And Jake, you would never guess who it was played by, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, the name rings the bell? Who is that? So he was in like... Uh, Taxi Driver, he was ah, in, yes. um, what else? Uh, Reservoir Dogs, I believe? Yeah, okay, I think I know yeah. what it is. Pulp yeah, Fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. I had, to, I had to look up some of the other things that he was into. But, yeah, he's been in so many things. That's fun. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not for me, but I do think if you enjoy absurdist things, give it a shot. Um because it does have some really positive moments. It's just not something that I could recommend in general. Yeah, fair. Yeah. And next, I will play a note. I don't know if you... uh, We talked about this. We're going to watch Breakfast at Tiffany's at some point. Well, um, a friend of mine, uh, Anna, read the book that I lent her and said the following kind of stream of consciousness. (laughs) Oh, hold on. I have muted it. That's why it's not playing. One second. Keep the tension. I did enjoy it. Well, yeah, so it's not this kind of book. I don't know. It seems like it's not deep enough, but at the same time, so I didn't like when people say that there are like bad books. It, I don't think there are bad books. There are either your books or not yours. And for me, this one was interesting because um, like, I really like the, the main character because 
for example, so she's so chaotic and her life is so hectic, but at the same time, when you know the story behind it, like, so her background, you understand, like, what makes her life choices so chaotic. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I did enjoy it. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, so it's very interesting that basically the whole book is just about one character and the rest of the characters, they're just like, I don't know, kind of like background like white noise i would say uh background noise um uh which is very interesting as well again it was all like she's the center of the world um and uh yeah like she seems shallow but uh but she's not at the same time so yeah very controversial character did enjoy it that was unclear. I thought at the beginning she was going to send it down the gutter there, but I think she enjoyed yeah. it well enough. So, I mean, she said she enjoyed it, but it was not good to say, like, starting it off with saying, I don't believe that there are bad books isn't necessarily what you mm. want to hear. I think it's not quite like her favorite type. And I'll be honest, I've read the book and I agree. Um, the film is very good. It's not in my top five Audrey Hepburn is probably certainly not in my top three, but it is a good film, I suppose. And it's certainly the first one that most people would watch. But as far as the book goes, pretty underwhelming. I didn't enjoy the style. Didn't do much for me. And it did send me a follow-up voice note because the, the book ends, and I'd forgotten this with three little short stories. Uh, but she initially oh. thought they were all tied to the main story. So she was doing lots of like mental kind of cartwheels to try to make everything fit together. And then by the third one, realized that these were just irrelevant, like just totally random stories that, that didn't bear any relation to the main book. Um, I remember liking one of them and finding it more powerful than the book itself. Uh, it's a pretty short book as well. The main character is Holly Golightly. She's super, you know, self-centered and, egotistical but also very scatty and just kind of wants to have a fun time i guess but they can't figure out if she's a fraud or not in the way she presents herself um honestly i wouldn't recommend it i would recommend watching the film just because audrey hepburn is an absolute delight of a human being i i don't think i could recommend the book so i also recommend the song by deep blue something (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah that's the they play that at pubs all the time here yeah we, we like it. I was looking through, by the way, We I was looking through before we aired, you know, like the sound clips. I was getting my down, 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 uh, the gutter sound clip and uh, and all of that uh, jazz. I don't know if you remember, back in the day, uh, podcasts would always have these, and I just find it, they would always have these, um, what's it called, blueberry ads. They were like, Blueberry, this podcast is a part of the Blueberry Network. And I just found that, and I thought that was very... I'm not going to play it, but I just thought it was very funny. So, what else have we read? I did read some other things. Yes, I hope. No, we're done. (laughs) No, I read some things, and I'm going to talk first about the one that I think will be quickest and then we'll spend a bit of time on the stuff that like the Dumas stories there's enough of them that that will take some time so basically I read some book by you may have heard of this chap Umberto Eco 
and the book is called Numero Zero. Uh, he does have a more famous book, which I have on my shelf. It's been in my queue for a long time. I think it's called something about a rose, the name of the rose, or something like that. I can't, I can't quite remember. That will be reviewed rose on by any other name. That'll be reviewed on an upcoming episode at some point. Um, it's the more famous one. Um, I, I hate to do this. <laughs> I really, really hate to do this, but um, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. But you're doing it twice. It's going twice. I didn't like this. <laughs> I did not like this. Wow. So this is an interesting month. All right. Yeah. Has this ever happened before? I don't think there's ever been a month where I've just been like, nope, 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 nope. I know there's another yeah, yeah, yeah coming up. Yes. It's very rare for me not to be positive about most of the books I read. To be honest. And as you say, look, maybe if there was a middle option, most of these would have ended up there. Mm. Um, but this... Again, it wasn't terrible. It was also very short. I think it comes in just under 200 pages. Okay? so Easy to get through. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, so I'll look at the back cover. Number one Italian bestseller. Um... Yeah, by the way, it also mentions, I was right, the name of the rose. So we have, it mentions that Mussolini, Il Duce, dies in 1945. And then it mentions that this book takes place in Milan in 1992. And our main character is called Colonna. And he is essentially a writer, but he's a hack. Um, Now, essentially what happens here is he gets hired to work for a bogus setup. So someone asks him, will you be a ghostwriter for my book? And he says, look, Dumas had one. So the best part of this book was that they did reference Dumas. Um, All right. He says, Dumas had one. Um, you can be my ghostwriter, but then... And the guy's like, ah, so then the book will be, like, credited to you and to me equally. And he's like, well, actually, no. It would just be credited to me, and then also you would be required to kind of disappear afterwards. It's like, right, okay. Perfect. Perfect. So they kind of think about that, but then that's kind of not even relevant. Because then he gets a job for a newspaper place, and I think the idea, if I remember, it's supposed to be something like the book will give us the story of setting up the newspaper journalism and portray it as some big event. But the book never gets talked about again. And the newspaper stories kind of... So the reason it's called number zero, right? They're they're discussing issue zero of the, of the newspaper. So they're kind of, they're kind of making like a dummy version of the newspaper before it goes live. But it turns out the plan is to never really go live. It is essentially a, a fake newspaper or a hmm. dummy newspaper. So they want to get funding? They're they're kind of look, it's set um it's tricky because like it comes back with Mussolini and everything in a moment, which I'll get to. Um there's hoaxes going on and at one point like it starts to involve blackmail and the CI I mean I'll read this. It media hoaxes, the CIA, the Pentagon, blackmail, love, gossip, and murder. A clash of forces that have shaped at least since World War II. So there's a, there's a lot going on, and I think this is some kind of scam, and there's spies involved and all this kind of stuff. So that's the idea with the fake newspaper, and they want to create multiple 
number zero is multiple dummy copies um, and then they think about what would our readers like and you know they think well, do they want horoscopes and everything and there's a, there's a funny part where one woman suggests like reviewing a restaurant or saying that it's really bad or something and the guy's like yeah and then what'll happen keep your ideas to yourself stick to your horoscopes because you give this restaurant uh, you slay at this restaurant all our readers are just going to go there to get crappy cheap food that they read about in the newspaper and all you've done is increase their business turnover so that's kind of funny but for the most part there's not a lot of progression with the plot now the whole thing takes place i believe inside about a week let me just double check the the first and last or first and penultimate chapters are are the same. They're set in sixth of June, nineteen ninety two. So sorry, not a week's not not fair. Sorry, it's two months. My birthday. So we start then. We go. We jump back two months to April. We see the lead up, and then we finish back in the sixth of June, and then I think there's an epilogue a few days later. So it more or less takes place within two months, but it starts and ends in the same place. I think his tap is dripping and that's like the start or, or this water's not working uh, and that's the start and end of the, of the book um, it's just difficult to say that I like this book he's one friend Bragadocio and the way we're introduced to him he's kind of like oh I'm a bit skin you'll pay for our meal here in the restaurant won't you and our main guy's like I mean I'm also pretty skinned and the guy says yeah I mean I have no idea what they pay you at the paper I never thought to ask it's none of my business really so you're skint too cool you're still paying still for the pay. yeah you're still paying for both of our meals though right <laughs> like, and that's how we meet him uh, the most interesting thing he then does is get killed and that's because he knows some information and he's going to release an article what information does he know he's working on an article that tells us that Mussolini never died oh so he that's a conspiracy. the he has a conspiracy yeah. theory that Mussolini is still alive. And that is the connection. Yeah. And in Argentina with Hitler. Yeah. The problem is, it doesn't really go anywhere. He just gets killed <laughs> and then they're like, cool. There is a girl, Maya, who is um, Colonna's love interest. She kind of works there. He doesn't tell her all the information, but she's involved in bits of what's going on. Um, and I think they just have an idea that they might like to just move away and shack up together and get away from this whole thing. But... I didn't feel there was good world building. I was like, you know, get away from it all, but from what? Like a fake newspaper and, and maybe a book that you haven't talked about again? Like, I, I just didn't really feel that it was going anywhere or that it was very gripping or the world was built very well, you know? It is our world, so... No, but I mean, it's set in a particular time. And and yet... It wasn't supposed about the to be... world, it was about whatever character or event that's well, happening, I guess. It wasn't well put together, I think. And it was kind of... It says Master Storyteller on the back. I'm not seeing that. I'm not really seeing that a story was well told or really told at all. I'm, I'm just not... When I say world building, I mean, we're supposed to have this idea of it set in this kind of post-war period and you know, all this espionage going, all the stuff that I mentioned from the back there. And we're supposed to be afraid they're spying. I mean, at one point, they do say, I think this guy is a spy. And they're like, cool, let's let him continue to work for us anyway, because he's not going to find anything out. We're just going to talk about the dummy newspaper. He's going to think it's real. But maybe he'll reveal something to us. But they just don't do a good job of making me feel like there's much threat. And then the one guy dies, and I'm like, cool. And I didn't really care about him. 
I just, I find it very difficult to care about this book. I think that's the best thing I could say about it. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, you're not really interested in like spy or anything like that. Magazines. Yeah. It's not even well done. I don't think, I don't know. It's not, it was a bestseller. Apparently it's good. I will give him another chance because he's a very famous author and I do have his, his more famous book on my bookshelf and it's been there for about a year and a half. So I will get to that soon. Um, but this one didn't do much for me. And I spoke to Carla, and obviously he's, in a, he's a very famous Italian author, and she's aware of him, um, but she didn't know this particular book. So maybe it's not that famous. Okay. So that's what I've got about that. Before I get to my next book, did you know I have been trying a fantastic product called Magic Mind? So... Yeah, actually, I quite liked it because um, they were they were kind enough to to send us some. And um, essentially, the idea of this is that you'll drink it with your morning coffee or in place of your coffee, I suppose. But I drank it with my tea, with my many teas. I drank it with my 10 morning teas that I, that I have every morning. <laughs> um, you don't have 10 in the morning. No, nah, I have 10 throughout the day. the day, of course. I was kind of skeptical at first, to be honest. And I was like, well, it says it's going to make me feel like more uh, more awake, more... Alive. The, the idea is, it says without this product, you have a quick crash, anxiety inducing, and jitters as the day goes on in your boring old routine. But with this, you'll get sustained energy and be relaxed and reduce stress. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it says it'll start working after two days, or by day three, you'll kind of notice some effects. And then after another couple of days, you'll really feel the effects. So I tried it. Um, I think I did it for like most of the month. And I actually really felt the benefits from day two i was like oh, i'm feeling pretty like awake and i've ran out and i kind of do want to get more actually because it was making me feel quite lively quite jumpy quite awake like i felt like i could get stuff done i felt very productive <laughs> especially that when it started to kick in it, it did it, ease off a little bit but by day sort of two three four five six seven or in that period i was feeling really really like i can get stuff done i can get through all my to-do list here I felt very energetic. I was very pumped up, actually. Um, and I was very surprised that it that it worked for me. So I actually wasn't going to see if I can get some more. But the key ingredients are matcha, which is supposed to be the ingredient that actually supports the energy for us. And then there's there's a bunch of others there. Lion's mane, mushroom, bacopa, monieri, turmeric, yeah. and various other things. But the matcha is kind of the main one there for the energy. All natural. and Yeah. All natural. Um, seems to be getting good reviews. As I say, I went in kind of skeptical because this isn't my type of thing. Any type of like, it's not quite an energy drink. You know, it's not Red Bull or something, but I'm very suspicious of that type of stuff. Um, but no, it really, really worked. I felt I felt fantastic for like, especially that first week, um, really, really energized. So I would would recommend that one, to be honest. And I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to get some more of it because it really did a job for me. So if anyone's struggling to get through their morning routine, you know, you're starting work, you really need that next coffee, you're days kind of dragging i would say try this one for a few days and see if you get that energy boost that is magic mind so you know what's interesting i was watching a chess tournament yesterday as you do and um one of the people playing in that tournament was drinking magic mind on camera like interesting oh wow Uh, dean told me about this and (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He didn't mention it at all in his uh, stream of the tournament. He was just drinking it. I'm like, people in chat were asking, like, what is he drinking? Is Does he have weed or something? And I'm like, 
I know what that is. You know, you've got the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. mind was magic. Yeah. And he's also someone who has almost like 4 million subscribers on YouTube. So wow. uh, he knows what he's talking or doing. Right. Fantastic. If he would <laughs> like to lend us some of the subscribers also, that'd be fantastic. Um, but yeah, magicmind.com. You can find out more about the product and make some purchases. Okay. What else have we got? Welcome back to part two with the Dean and Alex, the Books Boys. Whoa. I'm always out of this in post. I don't know if you've actually heard this Whoa, before. Baby. No. <laughs> because why wouldn't the show be split into two parts? So, was there an intro for part one today? Though it was, that goes it just started with the uh, okay, okay, just making sure. So yes, we're <laughs> back. What are we doing? Um, so I'm gonna. Is it a particular author that I do like? Um, I wonder. Is it Dickens? Is it Christie? Is it... <laughs> so I've read some to Ma. <laughs> wow. Shock, shock, but he gets a yeah, yeah, yeah. I will actually caveat it. I read, so but I went back to the um, the 10 volume uh, short story set that you gave me. And whilst it's very good and it still gets its yeah, 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 I think volumes four, five, and six weren't quite as strong as one, two, and three. Um, I could imagine. When looking through it, I'm like, this is from Three Musketeers. This is from Count of Monte Cristo. This is just from another book that he wrote. And like, all right. So they're just kind of throwing in some random chapters from his regular books into this. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. Um, to be honest, yeah, there was some bits from the Black Tulip which we reviewed on this show. There were bits from the Count of Monte Cristo. There were bits from the Three Musketeers. There was one story that I don't remember featuring the guys from the Three Musketeers that I don't remember from the novel, and it's called Moliere, and it's them going to get some clothes, but all four of them are together which doesn't really happen much after the first book. So hmm. I don't know if this is just a scene that I've forgotten somewhere. It's only a couple of pages. Or if this is some little extra unused snippet with D'Artagnan and the Musketeers. That would be kind of interesting. It's just like a deleted scene. Yeah, that, and if it is, that's fantastic. But I, do, I don't know for sure. Um, But what was there was quite nice. I'm going to try to go through these a lot quicker than we did last month, where we spent half an hour on it. So let's see if we can kind of do this in like 10 minutes, but we'll see We'll see how we go. Um, but look, I liked them, and I'm looking forward to getting through the next few. I think I'll do three more um, next month. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that a lot of them are just taken from the books. We still have no way of knowing if these are before or after the books. Like, were these taken from the books? Then he's like, I'll release these as snippets? Or were these kind of demos that would later get turned into full novels? We don't we know. Some sort of Dumas historian to help us with this. Yeah. And it also, it ends, one of the one of the volumes ends with a story where, again, they reference Dumas himself, which I love when that happens. And they're like, oh, that guy, the guy who wrote, they said the guy who wrote The Three Musketeers and The Kind of Monte Cristo? It's like, ah, even he knew his two good ones. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say like the guy who wrote, you know, some random one that we've the doctors, of, you know. wife yeah, <laughs> Joseph Balsamo or something. <laughs> yeah, he knew. But let's see what we can talk about. A few of the highlights. Um, 
Oh, also there was one aggression slave girl, and that was actually taken from directly from the Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know if you remember. There's a bit where he has a slave girl, and they go in and they do some uh, drugs and things in a tent and things like that. <laughs> it's taken directly from there. Don't remember that specifically. Yeah, it's yeah, whatever. Um, in Volume Four, I think the one of the highlight pieces is the Chevalier Sans Felice. This is a three-part mm. story. Um, about this chap he's called Speciale essentially what happens is he's accused and he's supposed to be put to death and he initially he's kind of like well I'm actually not a French citizen so you shouldn't kill me I'm actually but they they don't care about that and they say well yeah it will not be you know noble to refuse um, this death and the tribunal finds him guilty and they say okay well we've got to we've got to put you to death but it's just a three-part story of kind of like the before and the after. And I think he's very noble and gallant about the whole thing. You know, you'd think he would kind of fight against it or something, but he makes a grand little speech um, and he confesses. He says exactly what I'm going to do. And they say, well, we're going to put you to the death if you confess. And he's like, well, I confess because that's what's supposed to happen. So let me see if I can tell the story a little bit better. What happens is, um, there's a guy and a girl, okay? So they're both going to be killed. So the girl is going to be killed as well. And what happens is she's actually pregnant. And the guy is her, not her husband, but her lover. She is rescued from the gallows because at the last second, her husband comes in and claims oh. her and says, no, I give her an alibi, you know, whatever. She's She's my wife and everything's fine. And he rescues her. And he's depicted then as being like, this guy's essentially an angel because he could have just let her die because she cheated on him and there she is with her lover. But he comes in and saves the day. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, her kid then as well. So that's kind of how that one's depicted. Um, it's kind of nice, I guess, but it's not... The other guy still dies. Yeah. So then we move to part three, the martyr. Not only does the other guy die, but so does the woman and the baby. Oh, so they all end up dying anyway, or maybe not the woman, but definitely the baby. So it kind of doesn't end nicely anyway. But the guy tried to do a good thing. He had good intentions. Yeah, there's a fun one as well—a royal criminologist where they're sent a letter, and they're just kind of like the letter's got gaps in it, and she's like, "I can't read this. It's all very small, scrawly writing, and there's lots of gaps." And I very basic criminology here. The guy's like, well, step one, we need a magnifying glass. Okay, now <laughs> we can see a lot better. So that's, uh, we're halfway there. And step two, what if we fill in these obvious blanks with like, what are obviously the meanings? And then it's like, cool, now we've reconstructed the letter. And it was kind of obvious. Like, it's just kind of funny that they they reconstructed, but it's, <laughs> it's not really, not I wouldn't really... call this criminology. Like, it's just like, no. It's like, can I... I can't see you, Dean. Oh, wait, let me put on these magic things called glasses. Yeah, it's a bit of that, and then filling in a few obvious blanks in the paragraph, and it's like, there we go. <laughs> There's nothing particularly difficult there. Um, but that, that one was kind of funny. We also have the Conquest of Circe. This one's about Lord Nelson. This, these come up a lot in the short stories. Lord Nelson and Lady Hamilton. 
And it's just another little story about them. I don't know why. I mean, there's no, I don't believe Dumas wrote any novels with them in it, but he loves to put them in these short stories um, for some reason. I believe at one point the queen is actually there. So that would have been what's ha- what's happening essentially is this guy is very, very um, loyal to the king. But the queen is kind of saying, but won't you do what I want you to do? And she's almost trying to be a little bit of a seductress. But the guy's very much like, no, <laughs> I will not. The king outranks you and I need to do the right thing. And this is the bit where they end, they end, they talk around in circles about it. And they end, this is the one where they actually reference Dumas himself. Um, that's volume four. And you're probably thinking there wasn't really a standout from what I've mentioned in that yeah, volume. Yeah. You know, that's how I felt about volume four. Yeah. Volume five, I think, was a little bit better um, in that it had some of the stuff we've mentioned, it had the Black Tulip stuff and some of the ones that we already know. It begins with Arachiolo's capture, and that's a short enough one, but it's just a fun one about them trying to capture this guy, like they're sailing around, you know, and he's there on board another ship in the Bay of Naples, and it's just, ne- again, Nelson and him going to, to capture this guy. It's kind of it's, it's a bit more swashbuckling that one, yeah. You know? Yeah, and um, there's a wild boar hunt, and that's a very short one. Um, but essentially, what happens is they think that when they're trying to shoot the boar, the king almost gets shot. So it's just like a little snippet of someone almost killed the king, essentially. You know, um, some of these are two pages, and some of them are a bit a bit longer. There's one, the daughter of the Caesars, that's about Marie Antoinette, and um, it goes right through to her execution. And the bit I like the most is when they're about to kill her, she accidentally steps on the foot of the executioner and her final words are like, oh, I'm very sorry, I didn't mean to do that or something. <laughs> I think I heard that as well. Like, I think that might be a historical myth. I, I don't entirely know, but... I don't know. It's a legend. But... It's a legend. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard it before as well. Um, but there's a lot of arrogance in it as well. It's like a common cart for me. Like, they're going to transfer her to the to the gallows. Uh, to the uh, oh yeah uh, guillotine you know and she's like well why am i going in a common cart you know the king got to go in a fancy carriage and like well yeah but you're not the king and you're gonna be killed in 10 minutes anyway so it doesn't really matter but she's still a bit above herself you know even even in right when she's about to die she's still like i should be transported do you in know a... why this is happening to you yeah right <laughs> like <laughs> But she's still insisting that she should have been, yeah. There's one Three Madames. I'm not going to go into it, but it's called Three Madames, a portrait. And it's one page each. And it's just like these three ladies and just their difference, differences in character. It's just a little sketch of like three people. And that reminded me of Dickens, actually. Some of Dickens' very first novel is called Sketches by Boz, under his fake pen name, Boz. And it's just these little, little sketches of people around London. And that's kind of Duma having a go at that, like a Parisian um, version. Another fun one is Vertigo. These guys, I think they're doing something in a heist or something. It's not super important. But one of them gets Vertigo and almost, you know, foils the whole plan. And the cure is, the guy takes out his sharp, pointy sword and says, well, if you take one step backwards, I will run you through with this sword. So the lady has to continue on with the with the route. And he's like, there we go, vertigo cured, basically. He just took out a sword and you had no choice but to but to keep going. Can we try that with depression and cancer? Like <laughs> I don't know 
what are the limits of its power? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get some dopamine in your brain right now, I will stab you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, La Fontaine's first fable. Actually. And that's one where La Fontaine has written fable and they when they just talk about like the price that he could sell it for and everything but the most fun part of this is the ending because he's he owes some debt and he says oh this is nothing if your creditors will only wait a couple of years i shall have written a hundred other tales um which at two editions each will pay off the debt and it's like okay cool we just have to assume that you're going to become a very successful famous uh, author over the next uh, load of years and then the debt will be paid oh. which if they had only known we have Odorado, and this is a story in three parts. He starts out as a prisoner. His jailer decides he's kind of a cut above the rest and actually helps him escape in the end. He's like, we don't need to tie you up. Like, you're a good sort. You're a gentleman. I trust you. And for some reason, the jailer puts a lot of trust in him and then actually lets him go. So then part two is Odorado, the gentleman, after he like escapes from prison and everything. Um, it's a very long one, though, but it's quite... Is it kind of like a Count of Monte Cristo? He's escaped and now he's... Little, little bit, yeah. It turns out that he he knows the guy's father or something as well. Like, they, he was from a you know famous father or something like that, so they respect him and everything. The jailer helps him escape. I think it goes a little bit downhill as, the, as you go on through the three parts. So I think part one was the best one. But, yeah. Ultimately, it was still an enjoyable, enjoyable read. And we move... That one closes with Dumas meets the Musketeers and the Black Tulip. Which is a nice way to end. It's a shame that it, it's nice to re- Yeah, it's nice. Like, okay, I already know I like this. I'll read it again. But yeah, unnecessary. Volume six opens quite nicely with the Burgomaster. It's just this guy. His wife's there. His kids are there. He's a military type guy. Things are not going well, and he kind of says to his wife, he gives her one of those like I can't remember the exact line, but it's kind of very ominous line that maybe meant nothing at the time but then when she thought back he was like oh that was him saying his goodbye and she goes in to find that he's like hung himself basically um so that's the end of that story but it's very unexpected you know the men one in this section is diana de castro oh my god this one is there's about to be revolution okay so she's in there with some guy, some lord. And he basically says, right now you're my prisoner. But in an hour's time, I will be the prisoner. Because there's about to be revolution and the entire regime is going to be overthrown. Okay, so I yeah. guess that means there's nothing to stop me from uh, raping you in the next hour. Oh. So that's where this story goes. Okay. You see, I thought he was going to be the gentleman and let her go. No, no. Mm. Uh, the The opposite, in fact. Uh, luckily it, it doesn't get to that someone bursts in and, and saves her um okay okay but that it's it, the, the first volume of the it's a three-parter the first volume is very dramatic and emotional because you're like oh wow that's what you thought you were kind of like this crime is for free because they're probably going to kill me anyway i can just abuse this poor lady who's in my cat my captivity but luckily yeah some people break in and save her and it's a friend then it gets weird because the friend turns out to be her brother or something and they didn't know that it was her brother and it's one of those oh, how did you not know whatever um that one also goes downhill as the three parts go along because our main character actually disappears a little bit from it and then we're talking about just kings and all the usual you know dumas stuff but that first part especially and then the reveal that they're somehow 
brother and sister without realizing it. Um, that's very good, even though it eventually ends up getting weird and why is Catherine de Medici in it and all this kind of random stuff. But <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's still an enjoyable one, I would say, and that's probably the best one in the in volume six. That that first part, it's the most shocking, you know. And we do wrap it up. It's funny because she's supposed to be our main character, but we 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 lose her so much. We end up talking about him dying, and at the very end, they just say, "Oh yeah, Diana de Castro was not alive at the time of his death, and she's you know, um, she died the preceding year." And it's like, "Oh, you'd forgotten so much about our main character that you just had to mention in the closing line that oh, she yeah. died." You know, <laughs> <laughs> I bet he was like, "Where can I fit this in?" Eh, the end. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird, but overall, I'd say. It's difficult to say if overall the whole thing was good, but certainly that first volume gets an emotional reaction, which I suppose is is what you you're mean hoping the first for. Chapter. That first chapter, sorry, yeah, yeah. And this one ends with a long, long, long section about the man in the iron mask. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's fantastic. So if you've not read that book, you get all the key points here. It's like four long pieces about it. Like sixty pages or fifty pages, something ridiculous. <laughs> and you don't even have to read um, the after years or whatever book. Yeah, <laughs> twenty years after whatever comes yeah. before it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say overall very good. Um, but yeah, you must notice it's, it sounds like it's a little bit down on the previous three volumes. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is still a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm right in thinking <laughs> that we're, we're, we're moving on yeah yeah we're I've got two more books to talk about <laughs> first I'm going to talk about this book by Jeff Schechter the Daedalus or Daedalus uh, Protocol I think yes, I talked to you about this one. this one yeah I've, I've and we to you talked this. about how to pronounce it uh, yes. I think the TED talk said uh, Daedalus Daedalus Daedalus? Yeah, Daedalus is what I'm hearing. Uh, I want to say Daedalus, but again, I don't know. It doesn't so, matter. The father of Icarus, he was a famous inventor and did lots of things. Um, definitely created some robots in ancient Greece, it seems. Mm. Uh, not going to mention some of them because might not be PG. But ah. yeah, basically he and Icarus were... Um, thrown into prison and he and his son tried to escape basically if you get too low when escaping because he built the wings you'd go into the ocean and die if you go too high you hit the sun mm-hmm. and your wings will melt and of course icarus he has a workshop where he makes things and that comes in this book so we open with odysseus and hector and they have an elixir and then we we jump to the modern day um there is this chap, Daedalus, or Daedalus, whatever. He's putting together a task force to stop. Uh, he's essentially super rich because he's, um, well, we'll find out later, but he's very old because he's used the elixir and he's built up this money and influence over time. He's got influence with most of the governments in the world as well. And there's Basileus, this bad guy who is the same. He's also built up a lot of influence and he has this kind of cultish brotherhood thing that he's running and he has the elixir as well. Um, he wants to basically do eco-terror by destroying all the crops and letting that spread throughout the planet 
Like he's the bad guy, but he's like, you know, humans have kind of destroyed the planet. It might be better to wipe them out and start again with a small hand-picked few. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you might not be wrong. Well, I do. I, I don't. I kind of sympathize a little bit. Now, is the setting of this? Are we talking about like 800 BC? No. Or... So only only that first chapter shows us where the elixir came from. Then we jump to the modern day. Okay. So this is set now um, in USA. And we put together a task force of people who are going to try to stop Basileus. Um, but then, it, you know, it's crazy. They end up unraveling all these clues at one point. Um, they find the tomb of Adam and Eve. At one point, they're in the Vatican. Um, like, it, it covers a lot of religious ground, even though we... It covers a lot of Judeo-Christian religious ground, even though we also had some, like ancient greek figures who predate some of that especially the christian you know aspects um Mm. so that's kind of interesting that it all blends together but it's done very skillfully and it's done from a quite a neutral standpoint you know and they're solving these religious puzzles um and they find the library of alexandria also you know so there's a lot of cool stuff happening but it's not done it's got like um it's got da vinci code vibes i think yeah i was gonna ask if, if that's the vibe you're getting um, but it's certainly not done in like a. It's not here to promote religion to us. It's just that that's part of the of the plot, um, and how it goes forward. But I really, really recommend this one, and I have to. I have to give it a yeah, 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 because it was um, it was really, really fantastic. And I think of all the books I've read this month, I would recommend it. Bear with me, Alex. We're getting a phone call. I'll be back momentarily. Yay! Hello, you're through the books, boys. You got Dean on the line. Who's calling? This is Jeff Schechter. Ah, fantastic. Jeff, we were just chatting about your book here. Um, the Daedalus Protocol. Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? There's a few pronunciations. I, I call it yeah. Daedalus. Daedalus. Daedalus, okay. Daedalus. Daedalus is easier than what I was saying. <laughs> um, thanks for calling in. How are you? Pleasure. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Great, great. So we were just chatting about your book, and I mean, obviously, I, I loved it. It's right up my street. Having studied Greek history and that kind of, I've studied Greek history, and I've also studied. Um, I've taken historical courses on uh, Judea in the time of Jesus and that kind of thing. So all that type of area, a little bit of Jewish history. So this book kind of touches on a few different areas that I've studied, which is really nice. Um, but then it's also just like a really fun adventure book, which is fantastic as well. That's great to hear. I'm glad you liked it. So this is your first book, and yep. I feel like a lot of people's first book, it, it can kind of be testing the waters, but this one starts out, like, this is big, there's a lot of big stuff, and they go to some really interesting places, and it, it's a big epic. So, like, what what made you just sit down and really go all in on your first novel? Uh, go big or go home, right? And so um, my, my whole life, I've been building, you know, before I was a real, uh, uh, an author, I was a real estate guy. I've been involved in like the biggest projects in North America. We built, uh, you know, West Edmonton Mall, Mall of America, American Dream, these big entertainment and shopping mm. complexes. Wow. World world record, you know, the indoor triple loop roller coasters. Everything was always big, grand, the mm. best. And so it's sort of, I think, ingrained in my DNA that uh, you're used to do that. something, <laughs> do it big, right? Why write a little, yeah. a little book? So uh I had a rough idea of what I wanted, like a story that was, you know, evolving in my mind over the, the maybe preceding six months. Um, and uh, it kind of grew, I think, as I was writing, but I knew the ending right away. And I knew where, you know, the, the type of characters that I want to have in the story and then the rest of it just sort of organically evolved. And 
when I hit the last page, it seemed like it was meaty enough that there was uh, you know, enough mm -hmm. to talk about, enough meat on the bone, so to speak. And uh, I don't think it got too, although you can tell me otherwise, but too obnoxious in length and um, dragging apart. So I, I tried to stay away from some of those pitfalls. No, I think, I mean, the length is about perfect. Um, what, we're coming in about 450 or so pages. So yeah. length length is perfect. I, I kind of have a rule, which is once a book passes the sort of 500 or 550, then I start to think, could we have trimmed a wee bit off this? You know, does it does it need to be 700 pages, guys? But like 400, 450 is perfect, yeah. So, I mean, this is something you've always wanted to, to do, I guess, because this is very unrelated to the work. You know, it would be one thing if you said, oh, I've worked in real estate my whole life. So now I've written, a, you know, here's how to work in real estate manual. But you're like, no, how about we just write a massive epic with like some guys from Greek history, some modern guys uh, tying in with, you know, uh, I mean, not to give too many spoilers, but like the Vatican ties in at one point, all this different stuff ties in. And it's like, wow, right. this is very not what you trained for, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it was definitely outside my comfort zone. Um, but I'm a I'm a pretty voracious reader, and uh, I tried to emulate the, you know, either the form and format of some, the style of writing from others. Uh, mm. So I'm I'm a big Dan Brown fan. Um, sure. Da Vinci Code was actually one of the first books that got me into reading, where it was something other than you know commercial real estate mm. or finance or something like that, something enjoyable. Um, I love that whole puzzle driven thriller idea where it's not so formulatic and you can, you know, so almost like play along as you go along. Oh, I think there was that. And so there's a lot of really great visuals that Dan ran out in his book, you know, with the yeah, you know, paintings and sculptures and such. And so I didn't want to copycat that. Um, I also wanted to keep it a little bit fast paced. And so I, you know, bored a little bit from, you know, some of my favorite authors, James Rollins and Jack Carr and Lee Child. And so I really... Um, page turner type of sure, novels sure. but not so formulatic where it's you know good guy comes in sees the bad guy kills the bad guy saves the day gets the girl you know and you hit the end of the book so um i tried to to borrow a little bit did a lot of research learned a lot um mm. jumped down some really crazy conspiracy theory websites <laughs> i would to, i would say so to glean a little bit of of uh potential reality or or some like hook that keeps it grounded in reality the one thing i was really conscious about was not having it to slip into like science fiction fantasy so everything in the book without giving a lot of the plot away is um plausible right there's a there's yeah a yeah i would say so scientific explanation so to speak for anything that seemed to be otherworldly um or that would sort of like slip again into fantasy, fantasy and, and science fiction so um yeah with with those kind of guardrails in place i think mm. i set out to do it again like i knew how it was going to end and i just kept adding to it um did a lot of character development there were some instances though where i had to actually backtrack when i first wrote it i started writing it during the covid lockdown and right uh, a lot of the chapters or a few of the chapters i should say had um you know references to people wearing masks or the pandemic or the traffic was light in new york that day because people were mm. at home and i realized that's really going to date the book if yeah. I do it. And it's somewhat of a timeless story. You could pick it up pre-COVID, post-COVID, 20 years from now, 20 years before, and it reads the same way. So um, I had to go back and do some significant edits mm -hmm. to clean that up. And uh, it's funny, I thought one of the, the biggest leaps was going to be the AI piece to it. So I know you've read the book and, and uh, you seem to like it, which is awesome to hear. Um, but at the time, you know, AI being conversational and... Um, really like problem solving in its in its nature 
I knew it was going there. I'm a bit of a techie guy, but it really, you know, when I was writing it, it didn't come to fruition. And now, you know, chat GPT and all these AI um, applications that are out there, it's probably the least um, of a leap. <laughs> yeah. Take, it's, it's so simple now. It just seems like, well, that seems obvious. So yeah. It, it, it's funny that, how short time really AI is science trajectory. fiction that just somehow became reality very quickly. Instantly. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of scary. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, you know, looked and you went down a rabbit hole of crazy conspiracy theories and everything. Can you yeah. remember the <clears throat> the craziest or the most fun one that you came across? Uh, the most fun and interesting I'm actually using for the sequel. Oh, okay. Um, which is, which is um, in the works right now, I'm about halfway through it. Um, but there was really um, a lot of like archaeological type of, of rabbit holes. So like, you know, the pyramids and, and uh, as well as that plays heavily into my sequel not so much here but there's there's just a lot of information and and the tangents to a certain degree end up intertwining with each other so it's, it's really crazy that they all have some sort of commonality to them so um a lot of you know just like who were the ancient egyptians and um you know the the biblical plagues that i talked about in the book mm-hmm. um there's a lot of ink that's been spilled about that where the um you know, the, a scientific a scientific route would be, you know, like the the first plague was blood. So a lot of people said rivers, it was a mudslide. It was like kind of red mud and then frogs came out. Well, that's naturally going to happen if the water's all mucked up and then you get lice and disease and that's what's going to happen if you have dead frogs everywhere. And, you know, and so you can kind of follow out to a certain extent um, uh, and explain away many of those in a rational um, argument when it gets to the last of the plagues where it's like, you know, darkness and um, what seemed like in my book seems like a, a hailstorm, but it's really, you know, a fire that or, or hail that erupts into fire when mm. it lands on the ground and then like the death of only the firstborn. So there's a lot of things that they get a little esoteric um, yeah. at the time. And so you jump down that and there's some of like, it's just, it's miracles and it's God. And some people say it's all scientific and then there's everything in between. So I try to, play with the in-between where it wasn't only scientific and I didn't want to discount that it could be supernatural. Um, yeah, I think I found a sweet spot. Yeah, I think so, because it was kind of, I mean, I was surprised when um, the religious elements started to come in and then kind of pile up as as the story, you know, unfolds because there wasn't a hint of that in the beginning. Um, and then you sort of see that, oh, okay, this is this is a bigger deal than, than I thought it was. And it's, it's actually very epic. Um, I think, yeah, I would, I would say that you show the line very nicely without either completely buying in, but also not completely dismissing it. And it is kind of ambiguous in the end. I mean, I'm not going to ask you your, your religious beliefs, but I think that's the whole point is that I don't know them despite having read this, you know? So I, I think that it's ambiguous. You haven't just gone all in with one, with one side, you know? Yeah. And I think, and I think that's really, it's key. I mean, when I read the, the Da Vinci code, it was, you know, like, I mean, I had the visual counterparts to it. So it was one of the books that I was reading. And you could look at the Last Supper painting mm. without being a religious Christian and understand that, you know, here's symbolism and here's this. And it's just like his really cool take on uh, a very well-known piece of art. And so the Bible is probably one of the most well-known books in the world. And the people that believe it um, as gospel and word for word, and it's not a, it's not a metaphor, a book of metaphors. It's an, it's an actual thing that happened. Um, you you can't discount that, and the people that think that we're it's all evolution and that's just a it's a fable and it's a guideline to like you know how to live, you also can't discount that. And so I think that allowing 
the reader to live in between those two points and whether they're the far, you know, whatever this writer left, but the, the far extremes of each of those or anything between, it allows the reader to make up their own mind. And if they're biblically persuaded, they can see the logic in what I'm doing. And if they're scientifically um, persuaded, they can see the science behind it all. And so I think it's, it's creates a, a story for everybody without alienating anyone. Um, yeah. And still keeping all the options open. Great. I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right. I did have one sort of question on it, though, which is, how do you sort of feel that you reconcile <clears throat> having ancient Greek characters who obviously came from a totally different kind of polytheistic society with then some of the plot elements leading down that kind of Judeo-Christian um, religion? How do you feel those kind of reconcile with like Odysseus in the prologue, for example, versus following a trail for mana and, and this kind of stuff? Right. Um I don't know if I've actually even thought about it that way. I think, I mean, the world's a great mosaic, right? And there's mm. there's so many different, and that's the beauty of it. Um, we we sort of lose that in uh, all the happenings that are going on in the world today and everybody's really at each other's throat. And and uh, I think they're just, there's there's a lot of animosity mm. and a lot of, a lot of differentiation that's being highlighted. But I think, you know, humanity generally is... Um, has a lot more in common than it does in its differences. And I think that if you brought in an element like ancient Greek, um, it's just part of the fabric of history. It's, it's what led us to where we are today. And so if you're bringing in even what seems like disparate elements, I think there's an opportunity that it can weave this narrative that we're all really connected. And even something as obscure as, you know, ancient Greek and temples and the fountain of youth and you know the burial place of adam and eve and the vatican and you know nanotechnology mm. ai it i think when you read the book it seems and and sort of what you've alluded to it seems seamless and that it all fits properly and i think if people really just tried to focus on getting things to fit as opposed to the things that don't fit we yeah. would all be a lot better off um so i don't, I don't think it's much of a stretch because I, again i tried to to retain like this kernel of truth in everything that I wrote so that there's always this sort of North star that you could, well, okay. He said this about the Bible, but this and this and this, there's like gospel. And so it's not so far off the beaten track. And mm. he talked about this and this and this, when it came to AI and nanotechnology, and while maybe a little bit advanced, you could see how it's really just around the corner. And so I think that if there's this element of truth to every facet of what you write, then the truth happens to be the backbone that everything is sort of predicated on. And you don't necessarily notice that these elements are typically read in conjunction or, or, you know, with yeah. each other. I, and I think that it, it's something that I thought about after it, it didn't really strike me when I was reading. So it's not, it wasn't a problem or something. It was just when I was thinking after about kind of <laughs> stuff to talk to you about, I thought, Oh, it is interesting that we're coming from different religious backgrounds, but I think it, it all fits together um, very well. I wanted to ask you how much research you had to do, because obviously, yeah, you talk about the tomb of Adam and Eve, we talk about this and that, the Holy Grail, the Vatican, that's all big stuff. But then there's some little things. Okay, another big thing is the Library of Alexandria, which, you know, is fantastic. And that's uh, like, you know, if you could travel back in time anywhere, I think that would be my dream destination. But then there's some more specific stuff, like the Archimedes Palimpsest gets mentioned, which I feel is not something that like a guy off the street knows about. So, you know, there's a bit of research had had to go into that, I feel like. (laughs) um yeah so again it was it was really getting like the fishbone of the story created um you know the types of characters that i wanted to use the 
um, sort of eco warrior character as our antagonist. Um, and again, I wanted there to be, uh, and I think it's really important when you design your characters that there's a level of empathy that they can draw, even though they're the bad guy. Mm. So that if you could, you know, if you just can't relate to somebody at all, you don't really care what happens. There's no buy-in if something terrible happens to them or something good. It's very easy to root against them or for them. If you, if you find a commonality with them though, then you kind of, you find yourself conflicted in a way where like, I know this is the bad guy, but I happen to be nodding along as I'm listening to some of his like, you know, long diatribes. And so um, I think that the, the, elements once i had like characters in place and the story in place then it was a matter of again not trying to just use these typical conspiracy theories mm. and to do a little bit of deeper digging and so when you come up with like the antifakir mechanism or you know b- burial places of certain people or um you know hidden part lost parchments things like that they're they're a way to sort of bring the reader back to you know some funny as it says like to reality in that like oh this could never happen but what if somebody did have access to that the library of alexandria and what if they were experts in this you know team that they put together um, the daedalus crew that could sort of mine through that um crazy archival history and then if the reader is like you know they may not understand everything but they may understand one or two of those facets and if they wanted to do want to do a fact versus fiction at the end but if they wanted to do their own you know, quote unquote, research during the mm. book, there isn't anything that is overtly wrong or yeah, yeah. Uh, or not. And so that each one of these really cool things, well, you know, you hear a lot about ancient Greece, but you don't, you know, the Oracle of Delphi, et cetera, but you don't know all the little intricacies. So when I did my research, it was like, what about the Oracle? And then as much as I could on uh, whatever, and then some, you know, again, the conspiracy theory websites that this is actually a machine that's been kept and, you know, like the Nazi bell that they had and whatever. <laughs> so you go down one and then you click a link to somebody else's and, you know, just like, well, my mind's blown from, from what's going on. So you have to sift through that and find what I think the, the, the true gems in those stories mm-hmm. are and something that people could either they may have heard of in passing. There's something really obscure, but I didn't want also just write a bunch of really standard trope type things that everybody knows about yeah, and of course that's no fun so yeah a I, I think that's an educational process too i learned a lot and i like to pass you know a little little tidbits along um to the readers they go to i think that's why the book stood out to me because it doesn't just follow tropes it's not just you know okay here's a standard action book or a standard thriller or, or a mystery or whatever it, it kind of weaves around a really interesting story and and uh, it's also quite character driven at times as well because the team are fantastic. You know, we've got well, uh, Dallas himself, of course. He he's kind of aloof a little bit from the team, but we have our we've got you know Commander Griff and Chief, and they're kind of SEAL type uh, commander types. They've got their combat experience. Then you've got um, Dallas, for example, who's more interested in getting off with the girl from the coffee shop with Luna yeah. than and he, you know he's, he's unique. And, he's he's my favorite actually. <laughs> Um, he doesn't want to be there. That, <laughs> I was, I would say so. Yeah, he doesn't want to be there. Sorry, he's my favorite until we meet Luna, and then I actually kind of like her. Yeah, she's kind of kick ass. <laughs> um, yeah. and Aaliyah is at the uh, the doctor as well. So we've yeah. got a we've got a nice crew there and Phil. But the funny thing, of course, for me is that most of them want to be there to do some kind of good work. Dallas is kind of has to get conned into it almost. Like he has to get absolutely. Tri- you know? <laughs> and I think, and that's like I mean, you know, it's very it's. I'm not a hero type person. And so, you know, to save the world and to, to, you know, leave everything I have and just do what I got to do, not really in my DNA. I'd like to be that kind of person. 
Um, but I'm not that kind of person. I think there's a lot of people like that. And so Dallas is a, a reflection of all of the, you know, the angst that a person would have. Like, I really don't want to be here. I'm getting rooked into this thing. Yes, it's for the greater good and whatever, but I'm just not interested in it. And, yeah. you know, you're, he's got a, a bit of comic relief too. Um, he's actually based on a really good friend of mine. A lot of my characters <laughs> actually book are based on people that I know. Uh, the real life Dallas is, um, he's not a computer hacker, but almost everything else in that book is is right <laughs> is exactly he actually hated reading he's like I, I sound like an asshole when i'm reading this thing I'm like, <laughs> it's not you it's sort of just based on you in your case yeah. like he's a really um quick wit sharp tongue um hilarious guy in real life and so i tried to impart little um pieces again right what you know right so pieces of that in my characters to bring them a little more true to life and more three-dimensional fantastic um, but the, the crew's really, really great. And um, I do have one question, though, because I, I was struck by something interesting, which is that a lot of the time when I'm listening to our villain, Basileus, I'm like, he kind of has a point, you know? Like, he's he's not, you know, yeah. he's not your one-dimensional. He's like, ah, I want to do evil. He's like, well, we kind of messed everything up, and we're going to reset. And I'm like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, to be honest. Yeah, so I, I think, again, that's really important to have um, there be some connection to the bad guy where you can't just stick him in a corner and go, Hey, I don't care what happens to him. He's it's all like, he's going to get what he deserves when you find yourself, um, you know, for those students that haven't read any of the book without giving too much away, he's, um, basically an eco, um, terrorist where he feels that mankind has been doing, um, terrible things to the planet over the past, you know, hundred plus years. And, uh, you know, we all know what's happening uh, globally when it comes to, you know, climate change and food sourcing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so he um, wants to herald back to a day where um, people live more symbiotically, I guess, with the world versus treating it like, you know, he calls it like an open air sewer and the way that we're treating pollution and, and such. And so um, his, his uh, goal really was to, you know, wipe out most of mankind um, not a very lofty aspiration. Um, <laughs> it may fix part of the problem, but you create a whole other set of problems by doing so. And so I think there's, and also you can't have the good guy be, or sorry, you can't have your, your antagonist, the bad guy be so good that he doesn't come across bad. So there's this really fine line that you have to give him enough um, proper, um, like the proper aspect of, 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 what he thinks is moral and not moral. And he seems to care more about the planet than he does about his fellow humans. Right. And so I think yeah. that's the, that's the point where most people draw the red line is that like, you know, we want to do what's right for the planet, but not necessarily at the expense of humanity. Mm. But I think what I like about him is that, okay, you know, we're not necessarily agreeing with his actions, but his logic checks out if yeah, his you accept his yeah. premises, you know, then it's like, well, okay, I, I, I can understand what you're doing. So that makes a realistic villain for me, you know? Um, no, that's, that's great. And how important was it? I suppose it's very important, but again, I don't want to say why, but uh, it's important that the hero and villain don't really meet, I guess, for most of the book. So this is a, there's an elements of a chase, but we're not spending our whole time with, with Dedalus and uh, Basileus, you know, fighting each other or, or anything like that. Yeah, because... for sure, for sure. And that was something I really wanted to stay away from. I know that like, there's a lot of um, great authors out there, Jack Carr and Lee Child, that come to mind that are just, they're fantastic at writing action scenes. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know Jack Carr, but he's, he's wrote The Terminal List. It's actually on Amazon right now. Ex-Navy SEAL, um, sniper and troop commander, etc. So people like that, 
um, you know, you write what you know. And so his, his action sequences are, are pretty significant and they're so real. Like you can almost smell the gunpowder. I don't have that kind of background and I didn't want to fake it. And if to have any readers that would be, um, you know, in that, of that ilk to be like, Hey, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's just sort of faking this mm-hmm. out. So it was real, it, it was a conscious decision to keep both the antagonist and protagonist separate for as long as possible so that they could each, you know, um, progress through their journey. And then ultimately when they do meet, there's a lot of backstory that the reader has been um, privy to. They, have made up their minds hopefully at that point as to which side they want to be on again they, they understand the motivations um maybe they're hoping for a, a better resolution than than what happened but i think it was really important to develop the characters enough and the story in and of themselves and how it wraps around those characters carry you through the book and then when there is that final um showdown so to speak the the build-up makes up for the I don't want to say the lack of of action between the two but the absence of action between the two mm-hmm. it's almost suspenseful and so when yeah. they actually meet up it seems like at the right time and I think there's um a satisfactory resolution uh, at the end of the book so you're not left hanging and I knew also when I was writing this that I wanted to write a few books um, and this was going to be a series and so I spent a little bit of time um, at the onset trying to develop those characters without making it just super character heavy and not a lot of story mm-hmm. so that when you pick up the sequel, um, you would obviously get the refresher as to who and what everybody is, but that there's already a lot of ink spilled on who these people are and you can kind of jump into the action and um, the new story right away. So the sequel is just going to continue on with the, with the same crew, uh, picking up from where this one left off, is it? Yes. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, any ideas how long we're going to wait on that? Um, I want to be finished. I'd like to have it published in the summer. So, I mean, this book came out August 8th. Um, mm. I'd like to see if I can get it ready before that time again i learned okay. a lot so hopefully the process is a little bit uh, smoother <laughs> yeah First i think the... writer lots of mistakes that i would have you know i kept trying to polish the mat the, the novel like in stages where it just didn't need it and mm. so you wait to the very end and uh and then do it so it took me a little while but it was it was good to go through the process and the mistakes and to see really how much effort is required at every stage and at the editing stages and whatever and then when you think you're all done, all the heavy lifting's finished, and all you have to do is click publish, <laughs> and then you realize the easiest part was writing the book, and, <laughs> and now the real work begins. Yeah, yeah, you're not the first person to tell us that. I I wouldn't know. I've never tried, but I, I don't even think I could do the easy part, the writing. But I want to ask you two two final questions. Um, hopefully they'll be simple enough. The first one is it's more or less a yes or no, but. If you had access to the Elixir of Life, which features at some point in the story, uh, without giving too much away, would you take it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would. Insta, yes. <laughs> Insta, yes. We actually had this conversation in my house, too. Um, I'm, I would, I mean, I know the downfalls, too. And if you're the only person that would, you know, live on through, you know, centuries, you're mm. going to lose all the people that you love. And even if you were to meet new people and fall in love, they also would, you know, they wouldn't outlast you. And so the heartache that that would cause would be significant. And, and I think really one of the only drawbacks, but to be able to, to be able to like map the trajectory of 
of multiple lifespans and you know people always say you know youth is wasted on the young right if i only knew if i can go back 20 years well imagine yeah. go back lifetimes or multiple lifetimes and continue not just to start all over but to be able to retain everything you've learned and then use those skills into the next life and build upon it. it's a it's an exponential type of an improvement mm. um imagine my, einstein had ai like that would have been yeah. pretty crazy right so my uh, answer cool is to no. see it it would be very cool, but my answer is no, simply because uh, despite only being 31 years old, I'm already one of those like technophobes. I don't want to know what's happening. I don't want to learn the new <laughs> things. If I'm alive for another 200 years, I have no idea what the heck is going on, you know? <laughs> so I don't think I could cope. Also true. <laughs> but before I say the last question, would you like to real quick just plug your website or tell people where they can get the book? Yeah, sure. So it's available um, on Amazon um, in pretty much every country. It's available via Audible. Um, and on Kindle, uh, or at my website, the dataless-protocol.com. Um, and uh, there's actually a Kindle Unlimited special right now. So if you're part of the KU world, you can download the book for free for a limited time. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'll put a link to yeah. your site as well in the show notes. Um, which means thank you very much for calling in. And I will leave you Appreciate with the it. last question, which we ask everyone, which is that if there is one existing book you wish you'd been the person to write, what would that be? What a good question. Um, Hail Mary. The book Hail Mary um, is written uh, by Andy Weir, who okay. also wrote The Martian with uh, Turn It to a Movie with Matt Damon. I think I've and, seen the movie, but I've not I've not read Hail Mary. Okay. Yeah, Hail Mary is a great book. If you're um, a science fiction fan and just a really it's a it's a really great look at humanity in general um we're definitely worth a read okay i've just googled it there andy mary uh, andy yeah. weir hail mary fantastic well jeff thank you so much for calling in um pleasure thanks for having me have a great day you too You're thanks well. thank you and the uh, very last last book last book that's it <laughs> i so basically i read this one in two days so like this was not meant to be on this episode um and then I thought I'll start it and get ahead for next month. Uh, and then I just finished it. So here we go. <laughs> you told me to read something different. You said that we can't have all Dumas and Dickens. So I read <laughs> so... Anne Rice, Interview with a Vampire. It's a very famous book. I've obviously heard of it. I had never tried to read it before. Um, I think I did try to read one of the sequels or prequels or spin-offs or something and didn't get into it, but maybe it wasn't a good place to start. Um, I've tried. I watched the movie. I thought it was bad, but that was also many years ago. Um, someone lent me this book and they said, "No, you're right. The movie is bad, but the book is much better, and it's got that nice kind of gothic horror vibe." Now, does it pass the test? Which is Anything that has vampires in it, is it consistent with Dracula? <laughs> yes, it passes the test. Okay. It's consistent with Dracula. It's not... Um, you know, there were no sparkles detected. Yeah, no sparkles good. detected. Good. Uh, it's just under 400 pages, so good novel length, about 370, something like that. It's not outstaying its welcome. It's not doing the Anna Karenina method. It's just bringing us in at a good length. Um, I'm probably only really going to talk about the first half. Or It's split into four parts, but they're not of equal length. Parts one and three are massive, and parts two and four are very short. Um, 
So I'll probably talk about like part one, maybe mention one or two things that happen after that. Um, okay. I always thought that the main famous vampire from these was called Lestat. Um, but no, it's Louis, and Lestat is the other vampire who turns him into a vampire. Oh. The funny thing is about our main character, he doesn't actually want to be a vampire. He's been turned into one. He doesn't accept it, and he's very he fights it for a long time. For the longest time, he's feeding on rats and things. He he refuses to um, fight a person, go after humans and yeah. things like that. He doesn't want to kill. He's a moral vampire. The idea seems to be that you're supposed to get over that after a wee while, but he takes a long time, and, and even when he does eat humans, he is never happy about it. You know, he never really succumbs to having like a vampire mindset. Now, the reason it's called Interview with the Vampires, of course, because he's sitting down in the future, having an interview and telling his story, and then the book is essentially his story. Um, That's not really that important. What's important is the story itself. It's very powerful, though. I have to say, it's very well written. It passes the Dracula test. It's got those good kind of gothic literature vibes, which surprised me, but they've done very well. And it's very powerful. I mean, we see this guy not wanting to be there. We see that he's kind of under Lestat's power. He realizes eventually that he's a slave to Lestat. They're living... I believe they start in New York. And he has no knowledge of how to be a vampire. He has no knowledge of the extent of his abilities. He has no knowledge of his weaknesses or if other vampires exist. So he's very isolated with this one guy. Eventually they they turn a girl, a young girl, Claudia, into a vampire. And they then become her parents, essentially. They become her two vampire dads. And a lot of the book then is the relationship with Claudia and Louis. She doesn't like Lestat. Neither of them like Lestat. And Claudia eventually gets sick of him and says, you know, we're going to have to try to kill him, I think, and escape. And that's kind of the story of part one. I'll just mention briefly some of the stuff that happens later. They meet other vampires. Hmm. They they go to Transylvania and they meet vampires, but those vampires are, are more like monsters. They're not as clever and as sentient. Now, you might say that doesn't quite pass the Dracula test because Dracula is very clever and sentient and it's from there. But, I mean, this is set in, in a different time period from Dracula, right? So there's no reason to suppose that those vampires in Transylvania haven't uh, degraded over, over several generations or something like that. So I'm happy with that. Um, They give up on that and they go to Paris and they go to the theater of vampires where there's live murders being done on stage, basically by vampires, but it's being disguised as a theater show and that takes us into part three and i'm going to stop there but they meet another very powerful vampire while they're there who's the kind of leader um and then a bunch of stuff happens it's very dramatic i mean the back of the book describes it as sensual which sort of surprised me but then sort of didn't because it is very it's sensual without being sexual you know and it has a lot of emotion a lot of kind of there's a kind of because vampires are very erotic and sensual anyway, you know, and they're the strongest thing for them. It is the kill. It is the the sucking blood. It, you know, it's not it's not about sex. 
um, but the book portrays that very, very well. And then every now and again, it snippets back to now the vampire's doing his interview again, and he's, you know, the the boy who's talking to him will ask a question or something, and then we'll go back into the narrative. Not entirely sure why it was done that way. It works, but I also feel like it could have just been told as a story without the interview, to be honest. I don't think the interview necessarily made the book what it is. Um, I don't want to give, you know, spoilers, but there's a bunch of stuff happens as we go into part three and, and four. Um, I hope. Yeah, right. It's not just that nothing happens, but yeah, it's, it's there's some twists and things in there as well, and we get to see nice scenes at different times of them living in little villages and things like that with the peasants and Essentially, the stats the bad guy. We're not meant to like him. We like young Claudia, of course, but they start to worry about her because she's Lewis is trying to teach her to be like a good guy vampire like him, you know. But they worry that she's not, I guess, um, because she turned very young. You know, he has a whole life of experience and like moral work done that she doesn't. Um, having said that, most of the vampires they meet are not like that either. They're more than happy to kill humans. Um, so I guess that's just the, this guy's lucky or unlucky because he hates himself and thinks he's a creature of Satan, despite not having wanted to be. So it's funny, though, because I suppose the idea is you're supposed to think the vampire is a villain. But this book really makes you see that he didn't want to be a vampire. He didn't ask to be one. He regretted being one. He didn't understand his own abilities or powers. And he doesn't like the fact that he has to kill people, and he repulses. He's repulsed and disgusted by himself on a daily basis, you know. So it, it actually really makes you feel sympathy for him uh, in a way, um, which is which is fantastic. It's fantastically done, and the way the story progresses is very good. I read almost four hundred pages in two days. Like it, it really was a page turner. It was very, very good. So uh, that will surprise you that I'm gonna put it down. No, I'm not gonna put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah no. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to read any more of them, though, because what happens next, I've been told, is that two and three are kind of prequels with Lestat, and then four and five oh. are not that good. So I, I, it doesn't appear that we just continue on from here. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I've heard at least, like, there are definitely others that are worth reading as well, um, because there is a huge fan base for her, um, yeah. and her message... Her messages have hit hard with um, a lot of audiences. So you weren't a fan, though, and this is—you told me something that I oh. didn't know. So it, okay, how to say? Um, I do have no critiques of her work. I don't really know much about her work, but it is kind of like um, it's about the author, not the art, right? Mm. So she was someone. Now, okay, her books they really helped uh, with messages towards like more liberal audiences. Um, like your non, how to say, uh, basically like LGBT type youth. It's helped them a bit as well. And so that got her a lot of criticism on right. like, and got her a lot of like one star reviews. And she was uh, being like just bullied like so people wouldn't buy her book in a way um so she was a band like lots of her books were banned um so honestly it's a bit of a tragic story there but then 
she turns around and says like, oh no, there's no fair use of my characters or anything. Like I will use the legal system to make sure mm. that you cannot publish any like fan-made stories using these characters or that must be and, fairly common, though, no? Like, don't all these books and characters have a copyright notice in them? You're allowed to use the characters, though. So fair use, as long as you are doing, as long as you are changing it in a constructive way, then mm. it's completely legal. Yeah. Mm. So I always um, assumed as- the fanfic was kind of not really allowed; it's just tolerated. Well. No, I'm pretty certain that it's allowed it's because okay. you are you are adapting it. It's difficult with international laws, but mm. uh, at least within the U.S. itself, okay, um, it's the same reason. Like you have YouTubers who can do like reaction videos to a show. Like, why are they able to show this copyright copywritten um, piece? Yeah, I've always had questions about that because I know some that aren't allowed to show the thing, and they show like. Screen within YouTube. a screen from weird angles and things to kind of disguise the fact that they're showing clips from the shows so and things. YouTube is it tries to get around fair use in ways like they'll like shut down your channel if you use more than eight seconds of video and mm. stuff. Uh, so YouTube's not great for that, um, but it is legal within the United States to okay. uh, do it. You would just have to. It either has to be like a parody or a criticism or something else yeah. that constructs them. Yep. Nice. Um, Join us so, next month for episode yeah. two of Legal Fellows. <laughs> yes. So do I think that Anne Rice um, is like a good writer and all that? I can't really say. You seem to really enjoy the book. Do I think that um, she's a good person? Maybe um, not as much a good person. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I feel like she could have um, seen like what happened to her is a bit hypocritical. Like for her to do that is a bit hypocritical for what happened to her mm. with her books being banned and stuff. It's uh it doesn't feel right in that way. Yeah. So it's a criticism, but don't let it ruin your enjoyment of the book, obviously. Yeah. That's fair. And I did I did really like the book, so Yeah, and, and that's perfectly fine. But I don't think I'll rush into the next the sequels right now because I don't they don't sound as good. And um I got a lot of books to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yes well, I can't really ever get below having like 30 books in my queue every time I, I insist I'm not going to buy books and then someone will just give me some like I just, my, someone just gave me like 10 books like I just, I just can't not have 30 books in my queue <laughs> <laughs> well next month with it being December and all that we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes next month will probably be a little bit shorter because we'll take it a little bit easier and we'll probably record a little bit early as well before Christmas so it probably will be um more of a shorter episode, but but that's fine. I'll finish off four my... books instead of six. Yeah, I'll finish off my demand, then I'll I'll read something um nice and and we'll we'll see. But that is us for episode thirty eight. Alfred has been here. He's sitting over there with he's wearing antlers. Christmas Alfred wears antlers, but he hasn't really contributed uh, today. But he has been supervising there from from the chair across the room. He's been directing. Directing, that's the word. Yeah, we're producing. I don't know. I mean, potentially both. Like he does a lot, I guess. He really earns that that big salary that he he gets there. So that's this. That's episode thirty eight. Head over to booksboys dot com. Click some things. Go to patreon dot com slash booksboys. Be our friend. We love you so much. If you give us some dollars and pounds and euros, and we give you contents. Um, and yeah, honestly, looks like gonna 
hit us up on Instagram or or just tell some people to listen and, and spread the word. That's the free thing you can do, which is very nice. Um, and also, I don't know if people know this, but I think on Patreon, you can do a one-off donation if you don't want to like sign up on a monthly recurring thing. Um, but you can also just pay Palace at booksboysandhotmail.com. It's Christmas and we need to buy more books. We don't actually need books, but we would like your money. So that's Spokesboys episode 38. We're going to end with a song I did with PJ many years ago called Everything's Changing. I don't know if you heard of this guy, PJ, but uh, he plays guitar on this one. So we'll finish with that. And if the DJ would spin that record, we'll be back in about a month. Don't knock it, don't fight it, don't try to deny it. Everything's changing, your life rearranging. Good times to bad times, you've been through them all. Hold your head high and let your pride take a fall. But will this heart ever mend? Will this heart ever mend? Oh, will this heart ever mend? Will this heart ever mend? I can try to pretend. I can try to pretend. But I know this heart has not meant this heart ever meant Don't think my heart will ever mend Oh baby I want you back My heart is turning black Since he is under attack Can't steer me on the right track Oh baby I want you back My heart is turning black Since he is under attack Can't steer me on the right track Oh baby I want you back it's time to forget all the girls in the past They're in the past cause they were not meant to last Look to the future and then you will see The one you were made to be with us be Will this heart ever mend? 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 Oh, I can try to pretend I can try to pretend But no, this heart has not mend Baby, I want you back, and you know that's a fact. My mind is starting to slip. Come and save me from it. Oh, baby, I want you back, and you know that's a fact. My mind is starting to slip. Come and save me from it. Oh, baby, I want you back, and you know that's a fact. My mind is starting to slip. Won't you come and help me with it?
has been mending My heart has been mending I don't need to pretend I don't need to pretend My heart has finally been mending My heart has finally been mending My heart has been mending Baby, I don't want you back You made my heart turn black This girl has quit my switch My sanity's been fixed Maybe I don't want you back You made my heart turn black This girl has quit my switch My sanity's been fixed Books Boys was presented by The Dean and Playboy Alex in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, MagicMind.com. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus booth Fan the Boys shows and you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends, and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! Is that... Is that supposed to be blackmail, Dean? No. We're just going to leave that in, aren't we? <laughs>